you open up your Bible to Luke chapter 19, that's where we're going to be today. And Luke is one of four gospel writers that the Holy Spirit inspired to give, uh, he, he wanted to give an orderly account of what Jesus came to do. So as Jesus, the Son of God, comes into the world to save sinners, Luke tells us how he goes about doing that. Now, we, for the last weeks, have been studying the book of Acts. And you might recall that Acts is the sequel to the book of Luke. So Luke is the author of two books in Scripture, the book of Luke and the book of Acts. And Acts is the story of what Jesus continues to do after his death, burial, resurrection, and ascension. But Luke is the story of what Jesus did prior to, leading up to that time. So at the beginning of Luke's gospel... Uh, In chapter 2, we have the birth narrative. So typically, when the church gathers together on Christmas, we're reading from Luke chapter 2, because that's the most extensive birth narrative, explaining how Jesus came into the world. And then as you go through the rest of the book of Luke, it becomes clear that everything is pointing ahead to basically one week. Some events that are going to take place in the city of Jerusalem. Jesus doesn't spend a lot of time in Jerusalem up until that point, but everything is aimed in that direction. So if you look back actually really quickly in your Bible to Luke chapter 9 verse 51, it's kind of the hinge point in the book of Luke. It says in Luke 9 51, when the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. So that's kind of the turning point in the book of Luke, is everything is leading up to what's going to happen during that one week in Jerusalem. And so in 951, it begins the events that lead up to Jesus heading towards Jerusalem. And the passage we're going to look at today is the very end of that period approaching his time in Jerusalem. And then on Good Friday and Easter Sunday, we'll look at what happened in Jerusalem. Okay, so that's, that's the plan, uh, and I, now there's only uh, so, so a limited number of accounts of what happened on what we now call Palm Sunday, and so this is a passage that I have preached before, uh, and when I looked up at my stuff, it was uh, 2017, so four years ago I preached this same passage, but as I read through, so I'm not like cheating and just using an old sermon, because I read through that and like, hey, as I just studied the passage right here, and I looked at what I preached four years ago, there's some things that I noticed in the passage that I think I totally skipped over when I preached it four years ago. Um, So, uh, one of those things was this, I think, key word in the passage, and that is the word peace. It shows up two times in the passage that we're going to look at today, and when I preached this four years ago, I didn't really even mention it. I think in part I noticed it this time because it does seem, as I look back just over the last year, kind of collectively, that peace does not seem to be a word that would define how things have been over the last year. So I think a lot of times this is what happens as you study Scripture and you learn some things uh, and experience some life, you're going to start to notice things in Scripture that you didn't notice before. But this word, peace, is one I noticed Here And I think it is a central theme of this passage. Peace is something we all want, but how do we get it? Peace is like we want everything to like fit together, to be whole, to make sense, to be right. That's kind of what peace is. We want that, but when we look around, we see like, well, we don't have that. 
like many people in Israel in the first century, uh, people assume, I think, that this will be achieved politically. But we can look back over the past year on a national level and see a year filled with a tense election season in which it just didn't seem like half of the people preferred one candidate in one party and the other half had a preference for another party and another candidate. Instead, it was people kind of assuming people on the other side were ignorant and purely evil, right? So, so, so not a period of peace when it comes to national politics. And then you add around that high tensions around the issues of race, a politicized pandemic, an attack on our capital, further evidence of brokenness, not just an ongoing violence of things like abortion, but even particular acts of violence like we've seen over the last couple of weeks. And it's easy to see peace is something we long for, we want it, and we don't have it. And you don't have to like watch national news, even if you like, I I just don't even pay attention to what's going on, but you do pay attention to what's going on in yourself. And so many of you could acknowledge if, I, if I'm doing an examination of my own heart, my own soul, my own mind, I don't feel a whole lot of peace. Instead, I feel often turmoil. When you look and acknowledge it and try to, try to figure out your own family situation, and you can look at your family and say, I don't, <laughs> that doesn't seem to be a place of peace either. So I think we all know what it feels like to lack peace. And that's why I think the passage that we're going to look at today in Luke 19 is such good news because in this passage, we're going to see how peace comes. And we're going to see something that I think many fail to see. And that is that peace comes only through the person and work of Jesus Christ. And that's good news. So if you're able to, our custom is as we read God's word, we stand. And so would you please stand As we read from Luke 19, starting at verse 28, uh, I'm going to begin by praying. You have your Bibles open, that's great. Let's pray, ask the Holy Spirit to be at work, and then we'll read the Word. Father, I thank you that your Holy Spirit worked in Luke, that he might write every one of these words, giving an orderly account of what happened as Jesus finally was going to enter into Jerusalem. God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be at work even now that you would bring about conviction of sin, that you would bring about comfort, and that you would bring peace. We know that's one of the fruits of your Spirit's work, is that peace will come. And so I pray um, that, that you would bring peace, that you would help us to not be distracted, that you would help us to be focused, that we would hear your word and be obedient to you and submissive. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke 19, beginning in verse 28, God's word says this, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, the owners said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. 
peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. You can be seated. Inside your bulletin, along with that connecting point, uh, is a a page or a half page with sermon notes, life group guide on the back. If the sermon notes are helpful for you as you follow along, go ahead and use that. You'll notice there the first point is just this, peace comes, peace comes. And the first thing we see are preparations for a peaceful entry, preparations for a peaceful entry. Now the disadvantage, normally what we do here is we preach through, I preach through a book of the Bible. Now we're jumping into the middle of Luke, and I didn't preach the passage before this last week. And we're at a disadvantage a little bit because the first verse of the passage we're looking at this week connects back to the passage that we would have looked at the week before had we been going through the whole gospel. So notice this in verse 28. It says, And when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. Okay? What are these things that he had just said? Well, if you look back in your Bible, you'll find that what comes right before this is Jesus telling a parable. And oftentimes, we're told why Jesus tells certain parables. In this parable, you're going to see people rejecting Jesus. But Jesus tells the parable for a particular reason. So before we look at the passage today, let's just look at one verse a little bit earlier in 19... Chapter 19 still, but look at verse 11. Here's what it says. It says, as they heard these things, he proceeded to tell a parable. Now it's going to tell us why he told the parable. Because he was near to Jerusalem and because they supposed that the kingdom of God was to appear immediately. So remember, all of Luke's gospel is pointing ahead to Jesus the king coming into Jerusalem. And so... The Jewish people had this understanding of what the kingdom would look like, but their understanding was wrong. And so Jesus told them this parable to help them to understand that their understanding of what it looked like when the kingdom came was wrong and they needed to be corrected. So then we come to the passage that we're at today. When he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And here's where the preparations for a peaceful entry begin. Let's look at verse 29. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, that's little town right outside of Jerusalem, at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. (laughs) And he gives them this extra instruction, which I think is helpful, because he's basically telling them, Go take something right now that doesn't belong to you, right? Go, go take a colt and bring it here. And, and he says, if anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. And they go. And verse 32 tells us they went, they were sent, those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. Now whether 
because he's God, he just knew this is the way it was going to work out, or because he had made arrangements ahead of time, we don't know. But either way, the disciples go and find it just as Jesus said, and the people ask, what are you doing? Like, you're taking our colt. And he says, they say to him, the Lord has need of it, just as Jesus told them. Now, a couple of things to note. What they're going in to get is they're going to get an animal upon which Jesus will ride as he comes into Jerusalem as the king. Jesus really is the king. He is the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, and he's coming into Jerusalem as the king, and they're getting an animal. Now, he asked for a specific animal. Here, he just says, colt. That's what Luke records. But Matthew gives us a little more detail and says it's the colt of a donkey. Okay, it tells us the kind of animal as well. That would have been more important to Matthew's readers because Matthew was writing primarily to a Jewish audience and they would have wanted to know how this is connecting with Zechariah's prophecy because for 500 years, ever since Zechariah made a certain prophecy, God's people had been waiting for their king to come and they knew when the king came, he would come in a certain way. Jesus, knowing that as well, is why he's coming in this way. And if you went back to Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9, you would read this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, listen, your king is coming to you. Righteous and, self, and righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So it had been prophesied 500 years earlier that when the king came to Jerusalem, he would come on the colt of a donkey. It wouldn't have been uncommon, by the way, for a king to come on a donkey. That would have been the way for a king to come in humbly. But if a king was coming with the intent of political victory and conquering with military force, they would have chosen a different animal. He would have come in probably on some type of war horse instead. But Jesus' entry is not into Jerusalem on that way. He's coming on a donkey, a colt that's never before been ridden. So how are the people going to respond Well, we see that starting in verse 35, where we're told they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they're spreading their cloaks on the road, which is something they would have done to honor him. And as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, listen to this, picture this, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen. And what are they saying? Well, they're saying, this is a paraphrase basically of Psalm 118. They're saying this, as Jesus comes on this colt, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Kind of interesting, if you went back really quick, just in your Bible, if you get your Bible open, uh, just flip back to Luke chapter 2. Remember when Jesus came uh, as a baby in Luke chapter 2? Remember, remember what was cried out then? In this case, by a multitude of angels. Here, it's by the disciples of Jesus. They're crying out stuff about peace and stuff about glory. Remember what happened from the Charlie Brown movie? You know, remember what happened? Luke chapter 2, verse 14. 
Here's what it says. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom he is pleased. Same kind of message. As Jesus comes into the world as a baby, and now as Jesus comes into Jerusalem, the message is glory and peace. So it seems like some of them get it. By the way, he's coming into Jerusalem, uh, which the name of that city literally means foundation of peace. Okay? So he's coming into the city of peace, and he's coming in peace, and that's what the people are calling out. He's coming in peacefully, riding on a donkey. But not everybody likes it. Verse 39 tells us again about these religious people, the Pharisees. says, as some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. Why would they say that? Why would they tell Jesus that he's supposed to rebuke his disciples? Well, they would say that because it certainly looks like they're worshiping Jesus as God, right? They're worshiping Jesus as God, and and, and the Pharisees, wanting to adhere to God's law, believing there is only one true God, and not believing that Jesus is God, are going to rebuke them, saying, listen, you need to tell them not to do that. That's blasphemy for them to be worshiping you in that way. But Jesus really is God, and he really is king, and he really is worthy to be worshiped, right? So what does Jesus respond with? Well, he tells them, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Because Jesus is worthy of praise. I would love to see what the Pharisees' faces looked like uh, when Jesus said that. Them. I, I want to move on to the next section in a moment, but let's pause for a bit of gospel application here. While some people had some sense, it seems, of who Jesus was and, and how it was that this king was coming in, yes, to bring in the kingdom, and yes, he was coming in peace, uh, nobody really completely understood how all that was going to work, even though Jesus had tried to be clear with them. And as we want to understand and be clear, how is it that Jesus, coming in on a donkey, coming to Jerusalem, how is it that he's coming to bring peace? How is he going to bring peace amongst the people and peace between God and the people? How is he going to do that? We have to continue to read the rest of Scripture where it becomes more and more clear. So that memory verse that Jeff read for us at the beginning from Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That the only way for us to have peace with God is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Or we can turn, and I want you to go ahead and do this, turn to Ephesians chapter 2. This whole chapter uh, is beautiful. And in your life groups, you might spend more time in it. But Ephesians chapter 2 tells us of the effects of Jesus saving sinners. When Jesus saves sinners, we have peace in a way that we could not have it without Jesus, right? So so let's start in verse 13, though it would have been good to just do the whole chapter. Let's just look at verse 13 through verse 18. Here's what it says. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And then it says, for he himself is our peace. Jesus, he himself, is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility. What's he talking about there? Who has made us both one. Oh, 
he's referring to, if you read back a little bit, Jews and Gentiles. Jews and Gentiles who, whose relationship with one another was not one of friendship. That they were not one. It was hostile. And there was like a dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile. Right? So, so that, that's what there was. And what Jesus came to bring is abolishing, taking down that wall of hostility that these two who were once far off would be brought near by the blood of Christ. Right? Let's keep reading. Verse 15. By abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace. There's that word again. And he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. That's beautiful. These people who were separated from one another and separated from God by their sin, through what Jesus accomplishes on the cross, brings reconciliation and peace, not just between two different groups of people and making them one, but doing it through the cross, making us also united with Christ and at peace with God. Verse 17, And he came and preached peace to those who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So we now have peace with God and with one another, the body of Christ united as one in peace, wholeness, the way things are meant to be. What we long for, we have that, and it only comes through what Christ accomplished on the cross and in the resurrection. So, here's what that means. It means that true and lasting peace does not come through a political process or good foreign policy. That means that true and lasting peace is not going to come through yoga or mindfulness exercises. That means that true and lasting peace is not going to come when you just give your spouse or kids what they want in order to keep the peace. True and lasting peace, biblical peace, Peace with others and peace with God. Things being right and whole come only through the person and work of Jesus who is king. Only when we are reconciled to God and to one another through Christ are we going to experience true and lasting peace. And if that's not the kind of thing, you're just not sure that you are at peace with God. Maybe you feel unworthy or maybe you feel like you don't need a savior. Either way, I'd love to talk to you more this week to talk to you about how we can have peace with God only through a right relationship with Him through faith in Jesus. Now, many can't see it. Let's get back to this passage in Luke. Jesus is still approaching Jerusalem. He's not there yet. He's riding on a donkey, coming as the humble king, coming to Jerusalem in order to die. That's how he's going to... Now, we've, we've skipped ahead and we've read from Ephesians. We know the way that Jesus is going to bring peace is he's going to be executed. It's going to be later that very week. But I want to help us see what it is that Jesus experiences as he gets close. Verse 41. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it. Just picture this scene, right? People throwing down cloaks on the ground as Jesus, the Christ, the King, the Messiah, the Anointed One, is approaching Jerusalem. People waving palm branches, shouting Hosanna, which means save, the, save us. People rejoicing. 
giving great praise. Blessed is the king. Peace, glory, right? That's what they're crying out as Jesus comes to the city. And what is Jesus' response? Maybe he comes around a corner and now has a view of the city up on a hill that he didn't have earlier. And he sees the city. And what's his response? Weeping. I wonder if the crowds quieted down as they saw tears running down his face and heard his sobbing. I wonder if the donkey stopped. I wonder if they noticed. Somehow Jesus gets their attention. Maybe it's by stopping. Maybe it's by weeping. And he says this to them. Verse 42. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus is weeping because He's looking upon this city and He knows what will bring them peace. But He also knows that they're going to reject Him. And He knows that destruction is coming. Listen to what He says, For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children with you. And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. And Jesus' response to them is one of sadness, of weeping, because they don't know. They don't know what's going to bring about peace. There is a way for them to be at peace with God and at peace with one another. And it's through the person and work of Jesus, yet most of them will reject Him. And so as He approaches the city, Jesus' response is weeping. So application for us. Church, Here's what I realize about myself. I don't, I don't many people not knowing the peace that only comes through Jesus. I want to be one. I want us to be a church that would stop trying to find joy and peace and satisfaction and all things in something so temporary. And instead that we would see that Jesus is the way to have peace with, with God and with one another. Only in Jesus. Church, that we would see Jesus weeping as so many live blind to the reality of who He is and why He came. That we would join Him in weeping over the fate of people who will not find peace apart from Jesus. And so, I wrestled with this. Like, does, does the world, uh, just think about how the world perceives us. I think this picture of Jesus coming in and seeing the world and seeing how many of them are far from Him, and what's His response? His response is weeping. I wonder if the world sees us that way. If they see us coming in humbly on a donkey, weeping for those who are lost, or if they more often see us coming in on a war horse like cult political affiliation has anything to do with the donkey, right? Then, then we're allowed to say whatever we want. What if in a world filled with division and violence and slander and name-calling where anyone who disagrees with me gets canceled? What if we were the people with tender hearts that wept? That wept over lost people seeking to find peace with one another, seeking to find peace with God and looking for it all over but never looking to Jesus, not understanding who He really is and what He's really come to do. What if we loved them and prayed for them and shared the gospel with them? 
think that's what God, maybe you've seen those bumper stickers or t-shirts that say, no Jesus, no peace, no Jesus, no peace. It's true that those who don't know Jesus can't know peace. So many, so many in Jesus' day and so many in our day don't have peace because they don't know who Jesus is and what he's come to do. Jesus was not coming to give them political freedom. God's people had been politically liberated before. I'm reading through Deuteronomy right now, and he's just at the beginning of Deuteronomy reviewing how that went for them. God was gracious and rescuing them, giving them political freedom, and they blew it, right? They failed over and over and over again. Political freedom doesn't last, right? So that's not the ultimate thing. That's not what Jesus came for. What they needed and what Jesus came for is to be a king who would bring peace among them and peace with God, bringing them a better kingdom by dealing with the real problem, that is the problem of sin and death. A problem much bigger than the problem of the occupying Roman Empire in their day or whatever we're facing in our day. What they needed, what we need is Jesus. So too in our day, so many people see Jesus. They know something about Jesus. He's a good teacher. He's an example to follow. He's a miracle worker. He's a political revolutionary. Fine. But what they don't get, so many of them, is what Jesus really came for. That he came to deal with sin and death by taking our sin on himself and being put to death in our place. He came to bring peace. Though many fail to see it, true and lasting peace comes only through the person and work of Jesus. Though many fail to acknowledge it, Jesus came to reign through his death and resurrection and ascension. And he is coming again. And part of what gives us a sense of urgency, I think, in this is that we're told that when Jesus comes again, he's not coming on a donkey. He's not coming humbly. He's not coming on a donkey and is going to be executed by evil men. That's not what he's going to come for. The next time he comes, it tells us this in Revelation chapter 19, that when he comes again, he's coming on a horse next time, not on a donkey. Right? And so this gives us a sense of urgency. Revelation chapter 19, verse 11 says this, Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. We'll get to that. We're going to sing about that to close. But I want us to pause now and see how Jesus came on what we call Palm Sunday or the triumphal entry. Coming humbly to bring peace. And he planned to do that by just days later being executed on the cross. I'd invite you, encourage you to come back on Good Friday at 7 o'clock p.m. We're going to gather. What you could do is you could uh, certainly spend a lot of time in prayer. And would you also uh, maybe read um, Luke chapter 20 and 21. When we get together on Good Friday, we're going to mostly go over Luke chapter 22 and 23. On Easter Sunday, Luke chapter 24. But I'd encourage you uh, to, to, in the next few days, read through Luke 19 and 20. We're going to get together on Good Friday and remember what Christ endured for us as we gather together on Good Friday. And then we're gathered together, of course, on Sunday to worship 
our risen Savior who is King and who brings peace and who is worthy to be praised. Well, let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you that this week comes around every year. A week where we're maybe called to realign ourselves to seeing things the way you see them. It's really easy for us to get off kilter, for our focus uh, to be on something else. But God, I pray that, that in this week you would help our focus to be on Jesus. On Jesus who comes to bring peace and who comes to do it by dying the death that we deserve to die after living the life that we had failed to live. God, I thank you for the reality that peace is possible, but it's not going to come in the way that many people seek it. It comes through the person and work of Jesus. I pray that you would motivate us in all sorts of different ways, even in part motivating us by the the, the true, the, the real promise of Jesus' second coming and the judgment that is to come. We long for the return of Jesus, but God, would you help us to be faithful, maybe even starting by just weeping and praying for those who are lost, that we might love them and pray for them and share the gospel with them, and that you might save them so that they too are ready with us for the coming of Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Go ahead and stand and we'll sing together.